I'm sitting here in my own house, minding my own Hello, this is High Camp, the podcast where I try to watch all 406 movies from an out-of-print gay film guide before I die. I'm your host, Brian Rucker, and today I'm joined by the hilarious, the lovely Heather Jewett. Hello, listeners. Hi, Heather. <laughs> what a great radio voice you have. I just sipped one sip of cold brew, and now I feel like, you know, this is my Howard Stern moment. Totally. Oh, that wasn't Howard Stern. That was more Casey Kasem. Sure. Though, or know? any, like, um, local right-wing radio person in the morning. Yes. Ooh, I'm going for regional right-wing. I have a, a girl that I knew in college um, who was from Fresno and then moved back to Fresno after college and became a right-wing radio host. And I literally, two minutes before you came over, the only reason why I still have Facebook is to like follow a few people that I hate, basically. Oh, and she's totally. one of them. Oh, that's what it's for. And she always, like every morning, she throws out like the news of the day in a very sort of innocuous, innocuous seeming way and letting her her listeners do all like the dirty work so today it's about like the the impeachment inquiry and she's like oh the house voted to start an impeachment inquiry what do you think and then of course all of her people just go insane they just do their business yeah Yeah. and i want i I want to friend her i like that we're starting this way it's very john waters it's uh well it's my second cup of cold brew in the morning and i just yeah i'm like fuck this lady i don't care anymore i haven't talked to her in God knows how many years, so Ooh. she's never going to listen to this. I love it. Um, Anyone you hate? No, I'm kidding. Oh, my God. Yeah, that'll... Um, we'll see where this cold brew takes Exactly. Me. God, I now I'm regretting pouring myself a second cup because one was one is always enough. No, this is going to be a wild <laughs> ride. I can't wait. Um, It's Halloween. Oh, fuck. This will come out, like, next week, so Halloween will be over. I don't give a shit about Halloween. Look. Do you, are you a Halloween person? <laughs> No, I am so resentful towards this Halloween being like 300 years long. Because last weekend people went out and now it's Thursday or whatever. That it's I, crazy. I feel like by the time this episode comes out, people will be already having parties for next Halloween the <laughs> yeah, following yeah, totally. year. I'm just like, I feel so old and like such a curmudgeon, but I'm like, it used to be one night. Mm-hmm. Um, these alcoholics need to celebrate it three. I'm sorry. Yeah, like Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night, all through this week. And then I'm supposed to wear like a costume today? Yeah, I'm not. And then they'll probably fucking do more parties next weekend. But there's definitely going to be parties next Ugh. weekend too. It, it makes me sick. You guys need to grow the <laughs> fuck up. Okay, listeners? Seriously. Like, why did you not get this out of your system when you were a child or even like in college or whatever? I could see it but when I mean I also like my day job as you know and as probably some people know like I work at a comedy theater and so they had like they put out an email like yesterday being like oh by the way there's gonna be a co- like a costume contest for the employees <laughs> and I'm like I'm not participating and then they're like no weapons <laughs> no uh no like problematic costumes and I was like well I was gonna be a I was gonna be Baghdadi <laughs> Well, I'm out. Yeah. Uh, that's funny you mentioned that because my job right now is I'm walking dogs and we also had a costume contest. Oh. Good thing I'm not working today because it, it's kind of like 
what is a costume contest if you're not even together in an office? You're just out in the <laughs> wild of Runyon Canyons by, by yourself in a costume with a pack of dogs on a hike. Um, to me, I was like, that is a recipe for sheer humiliation and nothing else. Depressing thing because I could the think staff of. isn't even together, so you're just out. And I guess it's. Are you supposed judged. to take like a selfie of yourself and then I guess it's just the higher ups will it's judge? Judged on the group tech, on a group text level. Text. Wow. Um, I have today off, so I'm I'm actually thrilled. And I didn't do anything to dress up. I didn't um I didn't go to any parties. I, I frankly wasn't invited and, no. and I'm not losing any sleep over. No, it. yeah. Uh the fewer parties the better. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> That's my mantra. That's my life. <laughs> Mantra. Oh my god. god. Wow. Um, I'm gonna introduce a new segment this week that I've never done before, but I wanna like do a little like industry news at the top of every podcast Ooh. to make it a more um make it a more topical podcast. So Heather, what do you think? And I I'm just throwing this at you right now. Netflix said that they're gonna introduce a feature letting you um like fat or put movies and TV shows on 1.5 speed on your phone. Um, so you can watch things quicker and then like oh film Twitter went crazy and was like, like the sanctity of cinema is finally broken. Like people went insane. Um, what side of the argument are you on? If you are on Wow. This, this is new to me. I, okay. I, I hadn't heard about this and, um, God, just off the bat. Okay. I hate to ever align myself with film Twitter. <laughs> But I have to say I recoiled a little bit when you said yeah. that. And it's like, you know what? I'm all for people doing whatever they want. Um, if Netflix provides that, it's up to the individual to do that if they want. What business is it of mine if somebody wants to watch a movie faster? But I will say it kind of just stings in terms of the greater state of living in today's society. I mean, I think that's sad. I don't really care about the sanctity of the viewing experience except for myself like yeah, yeah. I wouldn't use that feature but I do think it speaks volumes about like just kind of the sad um, attention economy that we're in for sure. and, and you know like the fact that social media has probably and Instagram has rotted our brains so that we can't watch things in real time I mean I think that that kind of speaks volumes and is is tragic but it I'm is, not mad you know what I mean no it is tragic that I mean, all of our attention spans are so uh, compromised now. Exactly. I so I listen to like all podcasts, including my own, at one point five speed, uh, even like up to one point seven five speed. Oh. And I don't watch anything at that speed, and I would never watch like a movie at higher speed. But I'm I don't know I'm I'm torn because if I could watch like Real Housewives at one and a half speed or and just like bust through like three episodes of Real Housewives mm -hmm. in an hour or two. Or um I was thinking like cooking shows, like stuff like oh, that. Sure. Even like the news. I don't know. I would probably use this feature. Okay. To some extent. Also, it only apparently is being tested on your phones. So if you're watching a movie on your phone, you're already like a piece of shit anyway. <laughs> okay, it's only on Yeah, phones. like they're not okay. letting you do it on your TV or whatever. Mm -hmm. So I think the people that are garbage, I mean, who? no one's, are people going to watch Roma at like three and a half speed? Maybe, who knows? I mean, I actually, I encourage that. <laughs> yeah, actually, because like I love Roma, but like the the like dog shit sweeping that takes place for like the first 15 minutes, you could you could definitely make that a little faster. <laughs> Just speed it up. Speed it up a little so bit. So I think, 
I mean, I have to come down on Netflix's side. I think okay. te- like pro- it's progress. Yeah, I mean, I, I actually think it's fine. And now that you say it, like so many things are informational, like a cooking thing. I mean, yeah, yeah, if I watch Bon Appetit videos, like want to get through it. Totally. Um, but I guess for me, something like reality TV and stuff, I, I just kind of have that on the, the background anyway. Mm. So I, I wouldn't use that feature only because it's just like a it's like a meditate. It's like white noise to me anyway. So I'm not really trying to power through yeah. it. I'm just trying to have it on. That's a really healthy relationship you have with reality TV. To me, it's like I, I'm such a completist with The Real Housewives. And so there will be like three or four different cities going on at the same time. And I have to watch them all. Oh, and wow. so I'll have to like figure out my schedule so I can get them all in. Plus I listen to like three or four housewives podcasts a week. So it becomes, it's it's become a, but it's become a total chore. And I'm like, Oh, if I could do this twice as fast, that would just be like one more thing to check off the list. You're just getting, you just have to get them all in. Yeah. I've never seen that show. I just like, don't start. The only reality show I really watch is, I watch uh, Keeping Up with the Kardashians, but but on like in the background, I just like to hear, you know, like a vocal fry comment about ro- how the robes they're wearing are really soft. Like that comforts me. <laughs> just like when they talk about the products they're using, I just I just like to absorb that. Um, and that one, it's it's I've never really. I think I don't think I've ever watched a full episode of that. But it's like it is very slow. Like yeah. not much happens. Yeah. That seems that seems nice. So I enjoy that. Um, what else have you been watching lately? Uh, movies, TV, anything? Fun? I know you just got back from Italy, so you're probably like I did. Um, Let's see. Well, I I don't usually have a way to watch things. I like I hate that I'm saying oh, that I don't, you don't even have, have a TV. TV. You're too cool. <laughs> no, I just um, you know, I have a stu- oh god, it just gets worse and worse. I have a studio apartment and I have a lot of room. <laughs> sure, I get it. I don't want to pay for cable. Like I just don't. I don't like to pay for things. Mm. Um, stolen my internet for like the last thirteen years. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, I. So I was dog sitting and unfortunately, usually that's when I'm pet sitting. I, I really just catch up on everything. But this time, the people I watched, whose pets I watched, had parental controls on their stuff. So I was for like the only things that I could watch were just like a bunch of documentaries about wheat and like, and like the food industry. Were they like anti-wheat? Like pro? Like it's just free? like, I mean, there's so many different, I don't know how many different ones I watched. Some were pro, some were anti, you know, it's just everything. I don't even know their names. It was just in that school of like things that are called f- like food hurts or <laughs> yeah. like the problem with corn. And there's like 700 of them. There's so many on there's, Netflix. Is it Netflix? It was on Hulu. On Hulu. Uh, on, um, Hulu and Prime. Okay. Because, yeah, I think they, they're so, those those alarmist food documentaries are so popular. <laughs> yes. So they keep making more and more of them, which makes sense with, like, our just, like, schizophrenic relationship to food that people need, like, a villain. Um, Super Size Me, I think, was sort of, like, the first one. Yes. And now any anything you think is bad for you, there's, like, several there's documentaries movie for confirming that. that. If yeah. you're just like, oh, I want to be keto, there's... One about how keto is great. If you yeah. if you want to be vegan, there's like five about that. Um, so I just kind of binged those. But actually, when I was coming back from my trip, I watched all of Fleabag on the plane because oh. I had a really long flight. Yeah, people love it. It's great. Yeah, yeah. it's. <laughs> why did you say it like that? Because it's Cause one I, of those things. that's like really someone else is good. Like oh my I, god, girl. <laughs> like I, love I, it. I don't need anyone to tell me that. Like it's it's good. She's a great talent. 
it's we don't so, need to talk about it anymore. So funny that you say that because the reason that I resisted it for so long was because of how people were talking about it. And I hate to be like, okay, I already said I don't own a TV, <laughs> so I hate to double down on this like me being punk thing. But there's something about when things are getting lauded just universally. I'm not saying that I'm anti, but I just need a moment before I can watch them. Yeah. I don't, I just, I have a resistance, uh, hashtag resistance to, um, to things that are culturally just being, being so acclaimed across the board. Everyone's saying it's so amazing. And it's like, look, I believe that that's true, but you're going to have to give me a year until I can <laughs> sit and watch this on my own without the peanut, ca- you know, without, without feeling, I don't know. It just feels basic to exactly, be like, yeah. Cause like it, it is with everyone and all agreeing is like, yeah, it was enjoyable. Did I feel like it was that deep or changed my life? Fuck no. It's a TV show. Well, cause it ends yeah, it's like some respects. It's, it's embarrassing to like, uh, to share an opinion with conventional wisdom because you're like, well, yes, this is good. Like, obviously this is good. Same with uh, succession. Like I genuinely love succession, but I, I need a minute. I'm I not going to watch talk that about, for a year. Like no one is more boring than the person at the party that is like the party that we are not going to in the first place. <laughs> so how would we even so, know? But then the person's like, Oh, have you been watching succession? Like, Oh, fuck you. It's just such a, a, I feel like, I don't know, I get annoyed when I'm at the party or, I mean, it's been a while, but uh, when people just bring up the IT TV show of the moment, because it's just, I, I don't know, I'm always just, I want to talk about real people or, oh, yeah. I, I don't know, I just, I, it's just such a obvious go-to to talk about whatever show is going on. Totally. And, and they're all so uh, elevated now, like TV is so elevated, so you could literally pick anyone and yes it was it was infinitely watchable i had a great time watching it um you liked when she turned into the camera and gave everyone a little wink i did like that i like her i liked the show no shade whatsoever um yeah i really liked it no it's it's very good (laughs) we we both like but i just like that you led with yes okay it's great that's sort of why i wanted to do this podcast which uh is just like talking about shit that no one is like no one cares about the old movies with dead people that is not in the cultural conversation at all. And I don't know, like I'd rather talk about that, I guess. Yeah. And I always tend to talk about things about a year and a half after they came yeah. out, um, which I'll say my favorite thing from the past year, which I was a year late to uh, that I've watched over and over again. It's just like a perennial favorite now is assassination of Johnny Versace. That's like my favorite thing I've seen in years and years. So it's I'm, so good. I'm kind of always watching that. I always put it on. Um, really? Yeah. <laughs> That's <laughs> crazy, but I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I just think it's such a, a total piece of art. The, the visuals and the fashion and the yeah. music and the structure, the sort of going back in time. Yeah. Um, it I, soothes me. Yeah. I'm an unapologetic Ryan Murphy fan. Uh, like I loved the politician, uh, which seemed to get mixed reviews, mm. but uh, I didn't see that. Wait, did Ryan Murphy do nip tuck? Yeah. That's the one. That's one of my okay, all time favorites. That. Yeah. Highly recommend. Um, I have to go back and watch it. I don't like his net, like glee gets so, horrible after a while like I can't watch that or mm-hmm. Screen Queens I didn't like and even I've gone off on the last the last couple seasons of American Horror Story I haven't kept up with but like his one-offs his like limited series Pose is another show that is um technically you could say that it's very bad <laughs> like it they don't 
I don't know. It's not structured correctly. Like it's 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 so random. The acting, a lot of the acting is sort of amateurish, mm-hmm. but it's so heartfelt and like fun that I just love watching it. Um, I have to get one, give that one a whirl. That's one I've I've been waiting for like a big chunk of time to just watch it. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet. But he, yeah, he taps into I don't know something that that like I'm interested in. Um, just showing like the 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 weirdness of people in mm-hmm. a way that like most right like TV writers don't. Even though his stuff is very commercial too. I don't know. Yeah, I I recommend Nip Tuck. I okay. I felt that it was very ahead of its time when I think back to it. It's about plastic surgery. Uh That sounds great. Just very very like sexual and dark and just sleek and it, it fucking started it all, I think. Yeah. I don't I don't actually know, but it was really really good. Uh, I watched, and I, these are like other movies that everyone's going to talk about for the next couple months, I guess. So I'll move quickly, but I watched Parasite, um, okay. which is great. It's another one where like everyone is going to tell you, you have to watch Parasite. So do I? And it's true. It's a great, it's a great movie. It's, it's, it, it talks about the class struggle and, uh, scammers. It's like everything in 2019 that is like important and fun. Uh, and it's also very dark. So I definitely recommend it, but it's. It's going to be the one of those ones like Fleabag where everyone's going to tell you to see it for a while. So, <laughs> you know, at your own risk. And then The Lighthouse. Have you heard of that or seen that? I really want to see that. That one is, okay, it's, again, it's sort of like bro-y. I think a lot of like film, like, because it's shot in black and white and like a sort of a square aspect ratio. So mm-hmm. all these like film nerds are really into it. But it is, it's true camp. It's camp for Ooh. boys because it's just Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe stuck in a lighthouse going completely insane. And that's literally the whole movie. Love. It's great. It's so good. So I heard great things about it. Um, I saw Joker too. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, did you like it or what'd you think? You know, I I just wasn't in the mood to sure. um to I I I wasn't in the mood to like watch it from a critical lens. I wanted a break from the day, yeah. and uh, I just I watched it. I thought it was visually really nice. I liked how it was shot. Um, I liked the feel of it. This I don't know. I just yeah. I love Joaquin Phoenix. I um, didn't. I didn't feel very moved in either direction by it. To be honest, I I remember having a sort of a physical reaction because it is it is it, it builds a lot of tension at the end. There is like a big sort of catharsis in, in sort of a fucked up way. So I I do remember like feeling the theater or leaving the theater sort of feeling tingly in a mm-hmm. way that you sometimes feel after a good movie. But then looking back. A few weeks afterwards, it does nothing really stays with me about it. Yeah, um, I I felt like they could have done a lot more with yeah. that. Um, but the experience of watching it was enjoyable. Yeah, I just I had heard so much discourse about it before that I just I just was like, I can I just be entertained? I don't want to yeah. think about uh, the societal. No, and they didn't wanna... have any. They're, they're sort of like a mishmash of weird politics and stuff. Uh, the, like a lot of the like film. Film critic people ha- were having this sort of moral panic about it. That's what I didn't want to deal with. I didn't want to think about yeah. incels. Like, yeah. I just wanted to. And then, of course, like the it. like Chapo people were like, "This is the best movie about socialism ever." Like, this is a masterpiece. And both of them, you're just like, "What the?" F-? I think we can agree it. that both ends of those, like both ends of the spectrum about that movie, are supremely corny. Yes. And I, I don't want to align with, with either. <laughs> no. I just wanted to see a goddamn movie and eat some popcorn. And for that, it succeeded. Yeah, for me. and neither of us got shot, so <laughs> yes. it worked out. 
Uh, well, let's move on to our main topic today. 1974's Female Trouble, directed by John Waters. Uh, Heather, I sent you a gigantic list, mm-hmm. spreadsheet actually, that I made by myself of 400 wow, movies. Wow, I was wondering. It took me, I mean, I definitely like took an Adderall or a Ritalin before I did it because it was like an all day project. <laughs> yeah, it went on and um, on. Yeah. But uh, out of all those movies, Female Trouble was the one you wanted to see. Why did you pick it? I picked Female Trouble because it's probably the movie from the list I'm most familiar with that I've seen the most times and is it's the only movie from the list that's in my top 10 movies of all time. It's in my top 10 movies of all time, too. Maybe even top five. Okay, yeah. And it just had such an effect on who I am in every way uh, at such a young age. It just it truly changed my life. And it's funny because a lot of the movies I saw when I was younger I felt that way at the time, but few have stood the test of time. I watched this movie again last night after maybe a couple years not seeing it. I was shocked how endlessly entertaining and moving and exciting it still mm. was to watch. Every aspect of it gets uh, it, it, it. Time makes it mean more. Like mm-hmm. like every um, it's it was so prescient at the time about fame and celebrity. Uh, and yeah, it's a true masterpiece and it's in my top 10 of all time. I think the two, probably this one and All About Eve are probably the two from this mm-hmm. list that would be in my top 10 of all time. But um, yeah, it's a it's a masterpiece. Let me, before we uh, talk any further, I want to read a little bit of Paul Rowan's review of Female Trouble. So uh, if this is the first episode of High Camp you're listening to, I stole the name of this podcast uh, from a duo of gay film guides written in the 1990s by an amateur film critic and professional librarian from Duluth, Minnesota. His name was Paul Rowan. Um, And he wrote about all these movies. So, Female Trouble is a heartwarming celebration of traditional family values. The opening scenes transpire during the Christmas season. There's surely nothing more traditional than Christmas. A typical American family gathered at the hearthside singing carols and happily opening their Christmas presents. But what's this? The daughter of the household is disappointed with her gift. She's been hoping for cha-cha heels, but her parents have selected a more conservative style of shoe. Nice girls don't wear cha-cha heels, father explains, while daughter overturns the Christmas tree on mom and angrily stomps on the unopened gifts. Since she's played by Divine in his portly prime, the packages are irreparably flattened. After reducing the room to a shambles, our heroine delivers a touching Yuletide benediction. I hate you. Fuck you. Fuck you both, you awful people. You're not my parents. I hate you. I hate this house. And I hate Christmas. Seriously, folks, this is a vintage John Waters movie, which means that it's a subversion of everything Dan Quayle holds dear. Fleeing her formerly happy home, Divine attempts to hitchhike out of town. She's promptly picked up by a pervert who rapes her and then performs cunnilingus on her. This masculine role is also interpreted by Divine wearing thoroughly befouled underpants. Okay, I gotta stop. Uh, uh, the review goes on. That's a long one. Um, amazing. I love how he starts it. It's like mother, father, daughter. Like, it's just a weird... I, lo- I mean, I love this guy, but he is... Uh, Truly insane. The presents were flattened. <laughs> yeah. I love that he mentioned that. Um, can I read something really quick yeah. that I just in contrast to that? Um, I Googled this movie just to stream it and uh, came across the IMDb summary, which is an obese woman gives birth to an obnoxious child and embarks upon a b- 
bizarre and violent life of crime, which was so offensive to me. I was like, wow, way to miss the point. Yeah, that's crazy. Who wrote that? I don't it know. Like I, a... It was just the blur. That's when you Google that movie, that's what comes up. That's like, amazing. Wow, okay. I mean, yeah, this movie has, contains multitudes, so you can take from it what you want. Uh you, so you said you saw this movie when you were pretty young. Was yes. this was this the first John Waters movie you'd seen, or had you seen others before? You think? No, I saw. So when I was in high school here in Los Angeles, I uh, there was a video store called Video Journeys. Amazing. There were actually all kinds of video stores. It was quite a long time ago, um, and I had heard about John Waters through like fanzines because I, I would do I did zines back then there was like no way to find about find out about cool stuff no um so like my parents would let me rent a movie every week I had done enough reading about John Waters to know that I wasn't watching it with my parents yeah but rented Pink Flamingos waited till my parents went to bed and I just watched it on VHS and I wasn't quite ready for Pink Flamingos not because of like, I liked the aesthetics of it, but I, I probably was, like, 16 or 17, and I, I just wasn't ready for, like, the chicken scene. Yeah, that scene. Um, I, everyone talks about the dog shit eating scene, but the, the chicken fucking scene is probably the Let me watch the dog the shit scene disturbing. all day on a loop. And that's, the singing asshole is pretty rough, too. <laughs> that was hard for me, too. The, the asshole and the, the chicken being fucked to death. Uh, I wasn't ready for those. but uh, So I watched that. I kind of took it in. I kind of felt like I never needed to watch that again. Um, but then I rented Female Trouble on another dark night of the teenage soul <laughs> and just was completely blown away. I I was so obsessed with the world of John Waters. I wanted to meet people like this. I really felt like I get this movie and this movie gets me. There's people out there who get me, who I get. Yeah. Like it was just so incredible to feel like there's a whole world out there that I want to be a part of. Um, yeah. yeah, I thought it was just beautiful, a, a beautiful movie. Um, also, I think why this, the reason this review or summary um, doesn't sit right with me is because it's not about an obese woman, you know? It's no, they make no, I mean, that's what's so great about how, like the parts that Divine played in, well, polyester, they talk about her weight, but like most of the movies, she's just like this beautiful, sexy exactly. woman. And that's who she is. And like everyone wants to fuck her and she's hot and evil she, and great. And like there's no suspension yeah. of disbelief no. about her being hot. Like she is so hot. Mm. And I think watching watching Divide's performance in that movie as a teen girl was really cathartic because she she really effortlessly goes from all, uh, you know, a wide it's a wide range of feminine emotions really unbridled the hysteria uh i also think she's really good at portraying female sorrow yeah i don't think i even got it at the time but it was deeply resonant to me like it was a cathartic experience wow. to watch that movie um that's i i had a ve very similar relationship to to john waters in high school uh i i think i i probably i saw um serial mom as a young teenager, but, you know, didn't really connect it to like his, you know, other work or, or knew about his other work. And then, um, Pecker came out when I was, uh, I think like a junior in high school. And I saw that in the theater and I, cause it was, a, it's about a, 
you know, a young teenage photographer who wants to move to New York and become an artist. Mm -hmm. So I was like obsessed with it because I Mm -hmm. already knew I wanted to move to New York at that time. And then I went back and watched his old movies when I was about 16 or 17. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I lived in the suburbs, I mostly just had a blockbuster video. So they would only uh, rent out R-rated movies. The, The Pink Flamingos and Female Trouble, you couldn't rent because it was nc-17 wait they were available at blockbuster uh no they weren't available polyester was available because it was rated r so that was sort of the first of his like older movies i saw and then i don't remember i had a vhs copy of pink flamingos and i would watch that and again i felt similarly to you but i i sort of made myself keep watching it until it didn't disturb me anymore. (laughs) And I just watched it over and over again. And I don't even know how I got that VHS copy, but female trouble was one I didn't watch till college because it was sort of hard to find. I'm sure that they like, they had the the copy at, um, video Video journeys. Journeys. Yeah. (laughs) Which is where the Gelson's is. Um, Oh yeah. On Hyperion. It was next door. You know, all those little businesses on the side. Yeah, That only closed a, a couple years ago because I was even living in L.A. when that was still open. Yeah, but no. it, it used to be the entire first floor. Oh. Um, it was huge and wow. it had everything. And then like when I guess, I don't know, when it was on the the downslide, it was it got smaller and was just one of the storefronts and then mm, it eventually closed. totally closed. Um, they're reopening or they're opening Vidiots. The, I oh. think that was on the West side. They're opening a new branch of it in Eagle Rock. Oh, cool. Um, which will be attached to a movie theater too. So it'll be like a video store oh, and wow. a movie theater, which is cool. Uh, but yeah, like you, you said there was like a, uh, a catharsis and it, 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 uh, she showed sort of the sorrow of a woman in those movies. And I felt sort of similarly as like a closeted gay teen Mm -hmm. seeing these people who were obviously like very different. I I never like acted out or like seemed um, crazy in the way that John Waters people Mm -hmm. do. But like it was uh, sort of like wish fulfillment to like see those people just that had no fucks to give about anything. Yes. There's Um, so much screaming in the movie. Everybody's emotional reactions are so exaggerated. Uh, the tantrums that people have is uh-huh. just he sees somebody it, when when he's directing. I don't know. He takes those the reactions to the absolute maximum. And there's just something so thrilling about watching that because that's not the way that we behave. And no. that's not the way as a teenager, as like a teenage girl or a teenage gay boy is allowed to react you know it's like we're very i was very repressed yeah i really wasn't allowed to have feelings as a teenage wow yeah to show that you know and um to see people just taking it to the hill was really really fabulous yeah because the john waters characters there's like no subtext it's all 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 the emotions are on the surface Mm -hmm. and and to the nth degree and but somehow he gets like a degree of sort of real emotions out of his actors. Some of like some of his actors are more trained than others are more like definitely, but, but he's able to take like this wide variety of, of, of acting styles and, and technical levels and make it into like this cohesive style. Yeah. Uh, and I think female trouble, just the first 10 minutes of that movie Ugh. as a teenager, you're, it is the best, the biggest wish fulfillment to be able to act out both at school and then at home Ugh. and, and, all the fucking shitty teachers, 
that you hate, the shitty kids that you hate, and then go home and 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 just destroy your your parents' Christmas celebration <laughs> is literally the the most exciting thing that you could ever possibly imagine as a teenager. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You really hit the nail on the head. I think that's probably why it spoke to me so much. I never saw anything like that, and of course that's how I was feeling. You know, at school, like my fucking. I went to private Catholic school. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, you know, everybody was super fucking lame. Yeah, I'll say it. <laughs> In Sherman Oaks, California, like everyone was basic. Uh, I was you know, working on being more extroverted, like through being funny, but I was still super shy. Like I, I was very much, you know, fuck all these people. Yeah. And <laughs> to see that was just so incredible. And also it just can't be, I mean, it's, that movie is so fucking funny. I remember when that mom is underneath the Christmas tree and they ju he just cuts to her head like shaking. Not, not on, on Christmas. Christmas. <laughs> I laughed so hard then <laughs> as a teen. I just never saw humor that base and on point. I mean, it was just like so funny. And uh, and then I watched it again yesterday and I laughed as hard. It's, it, yeah, endlessly hilarious. That apparently, because I watched the... Um, I, was watching yesterday on Criterion Channel because there's like a new whatever restoration and they had a um a commentary track. And so John Waters was talking about that scene and that actually happened to his grandmother. Like <laughs> no one pushed over the tree, but a tree did fall on his grandma. And I think it was like a story that he'd heard from when he was a kid. And he just, cause like she wasn't obviously trapped under it for right. a long time, but like, a, like the Christmas tree fell on grandma and then he <laughs> sort of like, uh, he exaggerated that to, to, and, and showed it in the, in the movie. Well, I don't blame that for <laughs> sticking with him because it's, it's an unforgettable image and one that stuck with me maybe more than most of the images in that yeah movie. i mean and the way that she like just stomps on the presents and she's so because her parents are trying so hard they gave her whatever shoes that she, they think she wanted and that's the other thing like as a kid there's like specific they like whether it's like a specific nintendo game or a specific like book mm -hmm. i remember when i was a kid i was in like when i was really little i was into hardy boys books and um i had read i had only read a couple of them and so i guess my aunt and uncle had asked my mom, like, what should we get Brian for Christmas? And she was like, oh, get him Hardy Boys books. He wants, he like, he likes reading them. But she must have said, oh, but like, he's already, don't give him this one or this one. Mm. And they misinterpreted it thinking, oh, those are the two to get him. So I remember opening up those Hardy Boy books and seeing the the two books that I'd already read oh and God. having to repress my rage yes. and like no even knowing as like a seven year old or whatever that like I couldn't act like divine yes. but I so wanted to. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, just that complete lack of decorum and respect that you that you learn from a very early age that you can't yell at the person yeah. for giving you a present and then divine just Tells you that you can. Oh, God. Yeah. So then she runs away. Mm -hmm. And then it's, I mean, it's like a silly joke. But yeah, she uh, gets picked up by this hitchhiker. And I don't want to speak for women. I don't think she was raped. Like, or what? It's, what? It seems like. Let's see. I just watched it last yeah. night. Yeah. <laughs> maybe um, I'll re retract that statement. <laughs> you might have to cut I, that It out. seemed consensual, but I wasn't paying. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure. I don't want to speak for Don Davenport. Or I mean, I've, I also just watched it last night mm. and I don't remember. I feel like it happens really fast. Yeah. But they're just like fucking. Yeah. And, and she she's, she's seems into she's, it. Yeah. Oh, my God. I feel like. No. Okay. Well, <laughs> well, but you know what? This is not for us to say. 
Um, but but it's yeah, uh, it's divine as a man as this like disgusting biker. And the thing is, I mean, until because you do see the the like sort of money shot is him in his tidy whities with like disgusting giant skid marks over mm-hmm. the back. But I remember like before then, before that shot, I was like, oh, this is hot. Um, <laughs> but then then I was like, I'm you know not into all that stuff. So then I was like, Ugh. but uh, yeah. yeah, when you're because I, I don't know. I mean, I really had no, I definitely had no experience with women and I don't know that I'd ever even seen like, um, like Cunnilingus performed on screen in that way. Yeah. With those sound effects. Yeah. <laughs> Just like Slurping. out in the open, like on the side of the road. Oh my God. Um, and then of course she gets pregnant and, um, he leaves her and then she gives, well, she moves to like, uh, or she moves to like an apartment and and moves and starts doing like petty theft with her friends mm-hmm. and has a baby. Um, the baby was a real like three day old who yeah. was one of the actresses um, was like very pregnant during filming. So they sort of waited till the end till she had had the baby. Oh to shoot. my god! And she was really? yeah. And there's another thing from the commentary like she was like three days old and it just so happened that the woman's mother in law like her husband's mom was um, had flown out from England to visit her and the baby for the very first time. And so she's like staying with them and they're shooting this like disgusting, like birth scene with the, <laughs> with her three day old granddaughter. I was always wondering where the yeah, fuck that yeah. baby came from. Um, and then, uh, yeah. And then she gets in touch with, uh, the dashers played by Mary Vivian Pierce and David Lockery. David Lockery, RIP Mary Vivian Pierce still with us. Still with us had like a horrible brain tumor like 20 years ago and had uh, surgery and I think was sort of um, slightly paralyzed after that, but oh. she's still alive. And um, John, this the commentary track was from, I think like 15 years ago, but apparently she was still working as a nude model for like an art school, like after oh, being wow. paralyzed, like in her sixties oh, and seventies. What an incredible life. Yeah. But she's wonderful. She like in those early movies, she always plays sort of like the, like the sexy, like Jean Harlow character mm-hmm. with like the bleach blonde hair. Amazing then, style. Oh my God. And then David Lockery, I'm so, he seems like. I'm obsessed with him. The least well-known. John Waters doesn't talk about him a lot. Like he talks about Divine and Mink Stoll and Mary Vivian Pierce. I feel like they must've had sort of a complicated adversar- adversarial relationship because even in this commentary, he barely Mentions, I think he says, oh, I tried to get David Lockery to wear less makeup in this one scene. Mm. And that was like the only thing he says. And then he died very young of like a heroin overdose, I think. No, no. honey. Okay. What was it? He yeah. died in a really fucked up way. Oh, no. And I did some reading last night about him and John Waters. Oh, uh, okay. Falling out. Oh, okay. Um, so somebody that worked on John Waters early movies uh, wrote a book, which I don't know if this book got a lot of fanfare. There's like a very poorly written kind of website by the guy that wrote the book that I skimmed through. Because uh, I'm obsessed with David Lockery. He's such an amazing actor, such a memorable person, both visually and personality wise. I mean, I just think to me, he's a star, the star of a lot of these movies. Yeah. Um, he's so iconic and just. It's just an unforgettable face and his his face is like archetypical. I always think watching his his performances, do I have repressed memories of David Lockery molesting me as a kid? Like he just has that face where I'm like, you're the you're like the Pied Piper that like Oh my god, and, yeah. And obviously he died before I was born. I never <laughs> came in contact with David Lockery as a small child. But it's like that 
striking to me that I don't know what it is about his he's, face. He's a very, he has a, like a classic perv look. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it is very striking and also timeless. Yeah. Like he could have been a perv in any era. Um, so according to this website, uh, um, David Lockery uh, got a little too big for his britches and moved to New York to like try and get famous after the couple of these movies came out. And John Waters kind of broke his heart by not casting him in Desperate Living. Okay. And then David Lockery got really into drugs. He like went, he started having his downfall and his death is still shrouded in mystery. But on his Wikipedia, it does say that he was on PCP and bled to death (sighs) by getting some kind of cut. And I try to do more research on that. Um, I couldn't find anything, but it's also like, also, he was fucking 32 when he died, which is shocking only because he looked, I, I mean, he was so, he played such a weird distinguished character in all these movies. Yeah. He when he so has like a much- receding hairline. I mean, all of them have had like lived hard already yeah. by their mid 20s. So in, yeah, in Female Trouble, I think Divine was 28. So they were all, what? they were all about that age, <laughs> but they all looked, they all looked so in their 40s, old. Yeah. yeah. Um, so R.I.P. David Lockery. I'm still really obsessed with his story. If anyone's listening and wants to do like a documentary about him. Oh my God, him, let's write a David Lockery <laughs> biopic I mean, or I something. Yeah, would kill to know more about his life. And also what struck me about about reading that account was that the, this person apparently worked on John Waters movies and said that David Lockery was just the most friendly, outgoing, mm. and like warm person on set, which is... Not what I would have guessed. Yeah. Uh, He seems like legitimately scary mm -hmm. in a way that even like Divine and Mink Stoll play these like heightened characters. I feel like if I had seen them on the street, I'd be like, hey. And they'd be like, hey. And David Lockery is it's terrifying his I don't know for something about him is is dark and I yeah. love but I love watching it. that's that's really uh, sad I mean take that for what you yeah. will I it was maybe not the the best uh you know not the most vetted information no. well <laughs> but uh not. I had to I had to get in a k-hole about that because he's very uh, very enchanting and mysterious his life is yeah and like mysterious. sexy in a weird way Definitely. very strange um but yeah so he and Mary Vivian Pierce are the dashers who own this uh, very exclusive beauty salon in Baltimore that only takes like the most glamorous and uh, beautiful of clients. And so um, they deem like they deign to take uh, Don Davenport Divine as a client and then immediately start sort of brainwashing her uh, into thinking that she um, is like a supermodel. And then that, gets complicated by the fact that meanwhile, Dawn is having a romantic relationship with Gator, who's another sexy non-actor. Um, and his aunt played by the amazing Edith Massey in like a peekaboo leather onesie. I don't even know how you describe it. It was like euphoria. Yeah. yeah. It was like pre euphoria. (laughs) Kind of spandex, lace up on the sides uh, onesie. Uh, it's an iconic outfit. You've, if you've seen any like image from Female Trouble, you'll probably see this. But he, she is obsessed with her nephew or grandson, Gator, um, being gay, even though he's straight. So it's a lot of like, like um, just like fucking with the heteronormative uh, society by having this old woman insisting that her um, 
her nephew be gay and bring over guys to try to seduce him. Well, all he wants to do is like work on cars and move to Detroit to work on the, this is like auto industry. (laughs) That was a bad Baltimore accent, but it was like, he's auto uh, industry. So, he and Divine, he and Don Davenport get married. He there's a scene where him he just like fucks her with tools, which is great. <laughs> yeah, needle nose pliers. Yeah, needle nose pliers and and couldn't stuffs get away a, with that today. Stuffs a carrot in her face, but then um, and that's what what's offensive. Yeah, <laughs> yeah what's, and then Ida uh, freaks out and stops by the salon and just like throws acid in Don Davenport's face, and then that in the I guess in the Save the Cat um, film or screenplay structure that would be. The point of no return or something. Oh, okay. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Definitely is but, the point of no yeah. return. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then we have the wonderful hospital scene where they finally unwrap Dawn's face and she has those lovely scars all over her face mm. and she says, Pretty pretty. <laughs> <laughs> pretty pretty. And that moment is so iconic because I couldn't tell if she really thought she was pretty until she said, it's like, she just needs their validation and then she believes it too. She's completely disfigured. Yeah. I mean, uh, but she, as soon as she utters that and gets their approval, she, she believes it too. And she, yeah, she's never had more self-confidence at this. Right? <laughs> like she's, you know, she's been a juvenile delinquent. She's been like a petty thief. She's been an unwed mother, but now she is this supermodel. And, and the dashers say, which is like the thesis of the whole movie. They say crime and beauty are the same. And that's like literally what the movie is about. Um, and they say it just so plainly. And uh, yeah. And then the movie just goes further off the rails from there. Mm. Um, what? So she, uh, she, meanwhile, she's raising her horrible child. So we'll have to talk about Mink Stoll for a little bit as Taffy. Oh, Wow. Who is, um, I guess, like so, the character is like sort of based on Patty McCormick and Bad Seed. Okay, um, okay. it's this like like they they have a little girl playing her in one scene, and then and then she grows up. And Mink Stoll is sort of this, you know, if you've seen any John Waters movies, you know, but she's like this very like skinny beanpole actress who can play like young kids in a very disturbing way. In it, yeah, they say you look pretty rough for a fourteen year old. Yeah. I mean, she really does have the face of an old woman, even however old she was. Yeah, no, they, she was they were like 20, 25. It's crazy. I mean, she really looks like sixty years old. <laughs> She's playing a fourteen year old girl in like a little dress and I won't use the word that they use in describing mm. her. But um she has some kind of setback. Yeah. Um, and it's the word that they use let's just say it starts with an R. <laughs> Yeah, we uh, all know. We all know what word it is. Yeah, um, but it is. Uh, yeah, it was. That was the time, and that was the word they used. And um, regardless of her developmental little disabilities, she's also just like a horrible kid. Who uh, there's one scene where Don Davenport comes home, and she's playing Car Crash, which is a thing. Another thing that John Waters really did as a kid. Oh my god! Um, so she's like has you know her chairs and her stuffed animals. And she's pretending to drive and she gets into like a car crash and then she has like ketchup and she just like, uh, you know, spills it all over. And then Dawn's only sort of response to that is Taffy, don't play car crash in the house. It was just like, go outside if you're going to do that. Uh, But they hate each other. And then, of course, Taffy becomes a Hare Krishna. 
which yes and this is a recurring theme in john wire's movies in um in polyester too divine's kids are like like quote unquote bad kids and then have sort of a religious conversion halfway through yes, the movie. Yes, I rem- yes. And it's uh I think like at the time I think there was just no one. I mean it would be like us making fun of I don't know like Hillsong people or maybe mm-hmm. even like new age like astrology people. Mm-hmm. It's just like they their audience was hippies, but they also were like making fun of of hippies or people that would be into that stuff. Totally, which I love and oh, is yeah. is still timeless to this day. Oh my God, because always. you can really use like the wellness community or astrology people. Like you can sub in so much that's going on now for the what's happening in that movie. That's just like it's just a such a counterculture movie still. Yeah. Um, and it's it's so anti-establishment that you could just it works in any era. Absolutely. Uh, and so let's see. Oh, yeah. So they sh- she starts shooting liquid eyeliner into her arms um, and then. Uh, oh, she, and then she she chokes her own child to death. That's one of the things that she does, <laughs> which is fine. And then the the. Um, the climax of the movie, or actually sort of before the climax, but the but she has this like nightclub act. That's as, the, this yeah. is the climax of the movie yeah, yeah, yeah. to me. Okay, yeah. Yeah. So she's wearing, she has like this amazing mohawk, um, scars all over her face, and and she's becoming like the big star. Her name is on the marquee. Um, and then the act is just her on the trampoline. <laughs> It's divine just bouncing on the trampoline. Yes, and it's one of the greatest performances in cinematic history. It's unbelievable. And apparently she took all these, she had to take all these like trampoline classes at the YMCA to like prepare for the role. Oh, that thrills me to think of her showing up. Uh, Because she did all of her own stunts. I mean, if it's a stunt to do trampoline. Yeah. But she's not like good like she's no she's just jumping on it um and the crowd's going wild i remember when i first watched it that was one of also the most uh, just insane scenes because there was something i didn't understand it but i was so mesmerized and i i just felt like how do i put this oh fuck sorry Mm. um i got too excited almost knocked over the mic because it was so impressive to me um Something about that scene just embodied like chaos and expression for me. I just was so obsessed with it. It delighted me. Yeah. I mean, I get, I'm getting excited even talking about because she's it for the first time. She's so pleased with her own performance. Yes, and so it's like doing doing art for yourself rather than like what the audience expectation is and just like living in your own like beauty basically. Exactly. And it it kind of being the realization of the fantasy of if you're expressing yourself and you're like experiencing this joy, uh, the world will follow. Yeah. Because the, because the crowd really does appreciate just kind of the nothing that she's, I mean, I'm not saying it's nothing. I'm not diminishing it, but it truly makes no sense. I'd never seen anything like that. And the fact that it was so successful, um, was just so it was so miraculous to see that and and then in my creative life like I was in a band after that and we modeled our performances on that scene oh, wow. just just like the touching yourself and just the abandon like the recklessness of that and just things making no just there being no real climax to it other than just kind of feeling yourself yeah yeah, yeah. um incredible that's so cool uh but then unfortunately the police come because she had murdered her own daughter and they stopped the show. And then 
somehow Don Davenport starts shooting a gun at the crowd and kills several people. Um, and she, uh, is going to get arrested. She's sort of, there's a scene where she's like on the run and she has to like cross a river, um, in, in Baltimore. And she, that's another thing that she really did herself. Apparently it was like the, it was like winter time when they were shooting this and it was really cold. And she actually had to like cross the river while like the rapids were going and swim across and then hit her mark on the other side. Cause the actors playing the police officers were right on the other side to like catch her. So she like did all that herself. Oh my God. Uh, and then like the last, the last 10, 15 minutes of the movie is basically a court scene, which I, the first few times I saw this movie, that was the one part where I was like, okay, this slowed down a little totally. for me. But now like watching it yesterday, I'm like, no, this is perfect. Um, this is like such a great commentary on, cause they, they talk about Abby Hoffman and, and Richard Speck. She's like, I blew Richard Speck. Speck. And like, I didn't know who those people were, but like at, in the seventies, they were so, they were like these iconic sort of proto, like true crime people that were on everyone's lips at the time. Mm -hmm. um, the movie itself is dedicated to Tex Watson. Yeah. Cause he's the one that said that crime is beauty thing. Yeah. So John Waters in jail. God. Never knew that. I mean, Tex Watson, the original victim of cancel culture. Oh my God. Can you tell a little bit more about his deal? Cause I know he was in the Manson family. Yeah. He was, uh, he was one of the people, he was like the one sort of male Manson follower mm -hmm. that I think Manson used because he was extremely good looking. So he sort of used, uh, text to, to sort of lure and seduce women. He was the into face joining. of the yeah. Manson family. And so he did, he was, de he was definitely one of the people that, um, were involved in the, the Sharon Tate, murders. And he was I, there? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. He, yeah. Oh, so he's no, a, he, he's, he's a murderer. He's not really a No, I'm, I'm absolutely <laughs> being facetious. He's he's a murderer. And John Waters has an interesting relationship with with him and then with um with Leslie Van Houten, who mm -hmm. I, I mean, Leslie Van Houten was only there for the LaBiancas, and it's still sort of unsure if she actually participated in the murder or she was still there. Free Leslie Van Houten. Free Leslie. Yeah, we were definitely pro free Leslie Van Houten on High Camp. She's um, fine. Uh, but, but yeah, John Waters, even at the time, he was so into this stuff and he was visiting Tex and I don't, he started befriending Leslie maybe later too. But, and like, you know, we don't know what the right answer is and people should have to pay for their crimes but also these were i don't know they they were under the thrall of this guy for like six months and and i don't know if you need to be locked up for the rest of your life but that's i guess a different i guess that's a different podcast, a different podcast. But let's just say it's complicated yeah and, it's complicated. Uh, i'm not gonna die on this hill but just think about it yeah, a little bit yeah uh so of course don gets convicted and then she's um in jail strikes up a lesbian relationship in the slammer um and then eats two or doesn't eat she orders two veal cutlets as her last meal and then says i'm not hungry and then gets um electrocuted in the electric chair and that's the end of the movie mm -hmm. and uh what a commentary about the price of fame and beauty. Yeah. And I wonder, I mean, later looking like John Waters has said that he was critiquing the, um, the celebritization. Is that a word? The, uh, like criminals becoming celebrities, mm -hmm. but I don't know that he was doing that. I think he was celebrating that. Like, it seems like, I don't know, like he doesn't seem like he's critiquing it in the way that someone, 
I think that's like a little bit well, of backpedaling. Well, yeah, because Divine is the heroine of yeah. the movie. You don't, you're, you're happy at the end about everything she's done. I don't feel like you're. She's fulfilled all of her goals of being yeah, iconic and, and famous. She, and she seems fine with it too, in a way. Yeah, she's like beatific at the end. She's <laughs> yeah. like, the it's like the passion of Joan of Arc. Exactly. She's like the patron saint versus like, yeah. It, yeah, I guess it seems a little weird to say it's. I mean, I get it. It's like really, really deep satire, but yeah. Um, and I mean, there is, I think when I know when I was younger, like I, and still I, you, everyone's fascinated with this stuff. And I remember like checking out, uh, like a book of serial killers from the Same. middle school library probably got put on some list, but you like memorize these people's names and, and, and it's, and it's, it's very creepy, but that's sort of human nature. So I'm actually glad like now the, you know, recent, more recent like terrorists and school shooters and stuff, people aren't publishing their names and pictures as much. Mm -hmm. And I do think that is good because as soon as, as soon as you do that, um, people are going to, whether they think they are or not celebrate these people. And so like for society, I think it's good that we're not focusing on the perpetrators of these crimes so much anymore. Totally, um, because I think there's a romanticization of these people and like they're kind of, people think they're more deep than they no, are. No, they're not. And they're, it's yeah. just like, that's kind of, when I was in high school, I was obsessed with serial killers too and made my dad take me to the Black Dahlia murder site. He did, he was like, where are we going? Oh I was just God. like, I just want to pick up on the vibes, man. Like I was a total <laughs> asshole. Um but in the end, I think I was just obsessed with there being something deeper to it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the mystique of it. But I don't think it's that deep. No. Now, it's, it's especially just with crazy people. Yeah, it's just sad. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, nowadays, I think, I mean, he probably, he, yeah, he he says he wouldn't have celebrated them or, or made as many allusions to like the Manson family, but it was, this stuff was sort of new in the public consciousness at mm -hmm. the time. And I think people were still, people are still figuring, like figuring out how to, how to grapple with this stuff. So he, but he, I mean, created a movie that was like so much of its time. And yet, yeah, all the themes were still, we're still dealing with this stuff today. And it's, I think now like this is truly his masterpiece. Oh, like absolutely unquestionably. Totally. And I think that whatever commentary he was or wasn't trying to make the movie holds up because even if you just just for sheer watchability and like how funny it is, there's so many lines. I mean, almost every line is gold. Yeah. It, it, the lines are genius <laughs> in it. Yeah. He doesn't get enough credit for being such a funny writer of like jokes of like good. There's, yeah. there's so many jokes in it. They all stand up. Um, it's funnier than God. I'm going to say, and I don't really watch modern comedies, but I guarantee you this, this shit is funnier than <laughs> yes, anything that's out today. Absolutely. I mean, it's just, it's so, uh, like, I, I think if you are going to deal with heavy themes like this, the way to do it is in such a playful, irreverent way because it doesn't take whatever stance it may or may not be taking too seriously. It, like, the jokes are what's at front and just being lost in this kind of, like, in the, in the like, the play of it, you yeah. know? And just the family that are that made these films, like, you can sense... 
kind of uh, the love that these people had. Yeah, they're they're <laughs> truly uh, yeah, like you said, they're they're a family, and they're these like oddballs that mm-hmm. all you know grew up in Baltimore, and and so it's a very specific sort of regional feel to it, and yet like he did sort of will all of these people to become stars. Um, yes. Similar to like the 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 Warhol stuff in New York always seemed a little exploitative. Like it was Warhol sort of pulling the strings with all these mm-hmm. maybe disturbed people that he would deem superstars. With John Waters and the the Dreamland people, it, it all seems way more collaborative, and that that totally. it's a true a true friendship and um and like a group effort to 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 make these movies on a shoestring budget and to be able to to show them figure out a way to distribute them in the 70s this is obviously before the internet before video um he was like yeah some of the first like indie american films to to connect in that way yeah. that weren't like you know Cassavetes but Cassavetes was more in in like the industry in a way and John Waters was like a total outsider at this point yeah, and you can just really sense uh, the that these people were like probably cohabitating. You know that this was truly a labor of love for all of them. You can sense. I mean, there's just John Waters really raises these people up, and he doesn't judge them. Like, I don't watch even when I first saw it. I wasn't like, look at all these freaks. You know, like they're bringing like these characters were written for these people. Um, and they brought themselves to it and you can really feel his, his love for them and, and obsession with the actual actors. Yeah. Yeah, Writing these parts to, to really highlight all of their, their talents. Mm -hmm. Um, and yet no one else could play any of these, these people. Um, Yeah. I I think that's why it still feels so good to watch because you don't even think about that. I mean, you're watching Edith Massey. And like I said before, just watching Divine, like maybe the initial sight of her may be shocking for some people, but within seconds, you're believing that she's the hottest yeah. woman alive. Well, she's just uh, <laughs> just a tremendous actor. So yeah, um, she can she can take the the heightened craziness and imbue it with uh, with just real like humanity. In a way Completely. that, I mean, definitely most like drag queens can't do. Um, yeah. And most actors can't do. I don't know. It's, um, yeah, it's uh, one of the best movies of all time. Uh, Heather. Are we done? I think we're done. It's been like an hour. Um, do you have any closing remarks about Female Trouble? Oh, I would just encourage, uh, Cookie Mueller is in this mm. movie too. We haven't mentioned her yet. And I just wanted to mention her. Um, if you can get a hold of any of her books, you should definitely seek them out. Have you read any? No, of her books? I need to. Um, she has a couple. They're kind of hard to find. Um, Walking through clear water in a pool painted black. I looked. I, I tracked down a lot of her stuff after I watched Female Trouble, John Waters movies. Like in my early twenties, I tracked them down. And um, she's an amazing writer. Uh, she ha- had an incredible life. One of my favorite people from his kind of team of, of um, actors. And there's one book I have of her, hers called Garden of Ashes. It's like a, it's like this big. It's like a really small little, um, the listeners can't see, but it's like a <laughs> couple inches big of a book. And um, I bought it on eBay for $40, like in the early 2000s. It's just about her life. And um, 
if you could track that down, you should. I think her other books are a little easier to find. Well, are they like personal essays? Yeah. Or, okay. It's all about her life. Wow. And it's just, she had an incredible life. She passed away at 40 um, from AIDS. But uh, one of the best writers ever. And not really known for that. No, because she she sort of always had sort of smaller parts in his movies. She was always great. Like she's in Female Trouble. She's one of um, her like delinquent friends at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And then she has a good part in um, in Pink Flamingos, too. But yeah, I need to I need to read her stuff. Yeah, you should. It's great. Uh, Before we go, I ask all my guests if we were to write a third volume of High Camp and um, add some movies to the camp canon, what would be your nomination to add to the list? Day of the Locust, starring Karen Black, Donald Sutherland. Uh, That's also in my top 10 movies of all time. When you invited me on the podcast, I kind of assumed it would be on the list. I didn't know that you didn't make the list. No. Um, So, yeah, if if we were to make a third volume, I'd definitely include that. Uh, I've seen, I I read the, the book right when I moved to LA. Um, and then I, I have seen the movie. I, the book, the book like shocked me so much. And was so, so I think the movie, I was sort of an extension of my feelings for the book. What, like, what do you love about this movie so much? My God. I mean, it is high camp. Yeah. <laughs> it is, um, it's actually really similar to John Waters. Karen Black's acting is not that far from, you know, Divine's acting. No. I love like hyper feminized characters. Um, it's also about fame. It's weird. It, it does have a lot of similarities. Yeah, it does. It's, uh, it's, she's, she plays, it's like an act or a struggling actress yeah, in like, the 30s. Yeah, she's like an aspiring starlet yeah. in the 30s. And it just, it kind of tracks all these people's, uh, you know, kind of grabs for fame uh, in, in that era in Los Angeles. And just the very, very, very exaggerated, brutal collapse of all those dreams. Yeah, but not even, not even that exaggerated. It's like, it's those, well, I mean, I guess they, they use the, the metaphor of like the stampede and at the end is sort of exaggerated. Yeah. But the, the idea of, of, of people coming to Los Angeles and, and not realizing their dreams is, um, it's pretty close to home. Yeah. And it's, uh, I mean, it, it's really campy. I mean, yeah. when I first saw it, I, I really took it seriously. Okay. Um, and then I've watched it so many times over the years that I'm like, oh, girl, this is this is not high art. This is the same shit you always like. Which is, <laughs> <laughs> which is like, um, you know, the first time I saw it, I was just like, what a piece of cinema. And I'm not saying it isn't, but there's a reason that it's not probably. I mean, it's a fucking cult movie, which is yeah. what I'm always drawn to. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> well, and Karen Black is, because she was like a pretty huge star for a few years mm-hmm. and then sort of dropped off, like, I didn't really know her name up until pretty, cause she's in like a few movies that have stood the test of time, but she, she as a, as like a public figure, well, cause she died a couple or, of few early, years ago. Oh, just a few years ago. Okay. I mean, maybe um, five. but it, yeah, the, some of those 70 stars have become like, you know, Al Pacino or whatever. Everyone knows who they are. And then people that were just as popular then um, are more obscure now, unless you're like a, you know, a cult film lover. And Karen Black seems to have been in a few of those movies. Yeah, so she's she really is so insane in that mm-hmm. movie. Um, 
Donald Sutherland Sutherland is amazing in the movie. Um, it's it's got a lot of. There's a lot of shit that's very on the nose. Yeah. That in my early days of watching movies, I hadn't seen that stuff before. So I was like, oh my God, this is this is such a statement. And then, you know, watching it recently, it's kind of like, well, these are kind of tropes, you know, and they're really nailing the point. Yeah. Pretty hard. It's not it's not a subtle movie at all. No. But Chinatown's uh, not a subtle movie. Like exactly. Uh, you know, Citizen Kane is not a subtle movie. Godfather is not a subtle movie. That's true. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, not to take anything away from it, but I guess I've recognized how campy it is over the years, whereas at first I didn't, uh-huh. I didn't no, that's, see that. That's fun to, to, to when, you, when you are young. Like, I remember when I was really little, um, I saw Clue for the first time. Mm-hmm. And I didn't think it was a comedy. I thought it was like a straight up murder mystery. Like, it literally, I... I remember telling my grandma, I was like, oh, do you know, and I was a weird kid that would memorize the names of the actors. And I was like, it has, you know, Madeline Kahn is Mrs. White. And I didn't know who Madeline Kahn was. Mm -hmm. My grandma was like, oh, interesting. Like, she's usually in comedies. And I said, oh, no, no, no. This is a very dramatic role. She's like a widow who lost her husband and may have, like, killed him. And, like, you, you just don't. I mean, maybe this is a bad example because the comedy clue is so broad. I don't know what I was thinking. But like, I just remember taking that completely seriously at the time. Yeah. And another example I have of that is Twin Peaks. Oh, so yeah. I watched Twin Peaks as a kid. That's the only time I've ever watched it. Oh, interesting. Um, I haven't watched it as an adult. But when it came on, I was like, this is so fucking terrifying. And I had a friend recently tell me that he's watching it for the first time now. And he was like girl, it's a comedy. And I was like, no, it's not. And he was like, no, it's funny. And I don't know if it is, but I I still kind of can't believe that because it was so scary when I watched it as a kid. Yeah, well, that is, I mean, it's both, definitely. like Right, it's definitely dark. Cause it, but it takes so much from soap operas. Mm-hmm. And, and Very melodramatic. Yeah, there's so many campy, especially like the first part of the season um, before they get into a lot of the mythology of the murder and stuff. Um, yeah, it's definitely, I mean, David Lynch is another one. Yeah, but if you like melodrama, L.A. stories, um, soap opera shit, and just uh, watching children get hurt. <laughs> checking all my boxes. <laughs> Day of the Locust delivers on all levels. I mean, I mean, it has a really violent scene um, uh, yeah, it's around a, a child. Oof. It's really brutal to watch. It's actually unbelievable. I can't believe they got away with that. Um, and it would never fly today. I mean, oh my God, it's no. fucked up. No. And but Nathaniel West was another, I mean, he was a Looney Tune. And he sadly died young, too. Oh, car accident. Really? Yeah, he was oh. driving down to Tijuana or something, was wasted, just flipped his car over. Fuck. Yeah. Oh. yeah, I love movies about L.A. Yeah. Um Wonderful. Uh, Heather, would you like to plug anything, shows coming up, uh, social media handles, any exciting projects in the works? Sure. Um, No projects, (laughs) but um, I have a weekly comedy show called Mommy. Uh, It takes place here in L.A. at Bar Covell. It's every single Monday at 8 p.m. in the the side room. There's like a... With all the books. There's a door that looks like a bookcase and you push it open. I know this sounds really complicated and probably has made a lot of people not show up um, because it just sounds like too much to deal with. But you literally just push the bookcase. Uh, There's a show in there. I host it with my friend Sophia Cleary, who's another um, 
comedian here in LA. She's fabulous. And I also have a monthly show at Akbar called Bimbo Summit. It's a stand-up show every last Sunday of the month. And you can follow me on Twitter at Bimbo Summit. All one word. Thank you for coming and talking about female trouble today. I, I had, had so much fun. Uh, thank you guys for listening to the podcast. Go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and give us five stars and a nice review. Um, I might just read it on the podcast. Uh, you can follow us at High Camp Pod on Instagram and Twitter and follow me at Rucker Bry on Instagram and Twitter. I'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.